Today on the podcast, we're talking with Jerusha Hall, a licensed clinical social worker here in Arlington that really focuses her work on new parents and building really strong and empowered families. Hi, welcome to Happy Healthy Human Radio. I'm your host, Samantha Attard, coming at you from the beautiful Washington, D.C. I'm an Ayurvedic coach, yoga instructor, and doula, sharing with you all the things I am learning about and teaching about in my everyday, so we can all find just a little more balance, bliss, and confidence. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and if you do enjoy this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Definitely share with a friend. That's the most useful thing you could do for us, and I truly appreciate all of your support. We have some awesome events coming up through Happy Healthy Human, the biggest of which is actually a yoga retreat. We're going for three days to Lake Anna, which is just about an hour and a half outside of D.C., three days of yoga, Ayurveda, cooking classes, and just re-tapping in with yourself and with nature and with some really awesome people. We'd love to have you join. All the information's up on my website. Please let me know if you have any questions, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Also, I have classes coming up. They're Saturday mornings. We're going to do yoga basics at 9 a.m. and then 10.30 for an integrative vinyasa class. This is a 90-minute, super luxurious, fabulous feeling, like love your life yoga class. I'm so excited to be doing it. Again, you can find details all up on my website on how to sign up. It's going to be amazing. Please, please, please do reach out again if you have questions, if you need help signing up. And then lastly, March 6th, doing a workshop over with Apothecary over in DC. We're going to do demystifying the menstrual cycle. We'll talk a lot about birth control, getting off of birth control, if that's something you're interested in, understanding hormonal birth control, and just understanding your period and your menstrual cycle in general. It is an amazing and important topic, and I really hope you will join. But today we have a great conversation with Jerusha Hall. Jerusha is a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of Virtue Counseling in Arlington, Virginia. She's an adjunct professor currently teaching graduate level social work at the George Mason University School of Social Work in Fairfax and the National Catholic School of Social Service at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. She's passionate about empowering women to thrive and love their lives. Jerusha's practice focuses on helping women to be healthy and happy during each and every change throughout their lives. She specializes in issues particular to women such as prenatal loss, infertility, birth trauma and recovery, postpartum depression and anxiety, and your role as a mother, wife, and woman, plus childhood trauma and relationship concerns. She works with women both individually and with their loved ones, and Jerusha believes that every woman should have access to quality mental health care. Ooh, very cool. Virtue Counseling offers child-friendly visits for mothers with young children who are not yet speaking. Obviously, this is a wonderful and amazing woman, and I'm so excited to have her on here. Also wanted to let you know that Jerusha has an event coming up. It's uh, called part of the Nurture Series, meaning Keeping the Us After Baby. It's March 3rd from 7.15 to 8.30. All of the details are going to be on Jerusha's website at virtuecounseling.com. And her Instagram is also virtuecounseling. I'm really excited to talk with Jerusha because she has an amazing awareness about herself, about um, the people around her, about the transitions that we make throughout um, our lives and especially into parenthood. So please join me in welcoming Jerusha. I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Thanks. Hello, Jerusha. Hello. How are you? Oh, wonderful. How are you doing? I'm good. 
Good. Thank you so much for being on Happy Healthy Human Radio. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I gave everyone already the overview of your bio, who you are, what you do. But I guess I'll I'll start by asking, you know, what is what is something that you'd like people to know about you? Or what do you think is really important that people understand about you, about your work, um, and and the life that you lead? I think if I could have everyone know one thing about me and the work that I do is that I absolutely love it. I love <laughs> my I'm happy when you come in and see me. I When you have a victory, I get excited and I'm happy as if I had done the work. And so I love it and look forward to when people call me with hard stuff and need that help and being a part of that messy, messy process. <laughs> are you, um, are you, would you consider yourself an empath? Like, have you always been a very compassionate person that feels what other people feel? See, I, I don't know. I always feel like, um, that it was something that I became in, attuned to and became something that I worked at to really improve and be intentional and I always really came from it from also a cognitive point of view of like, I want my work to be evidence-based. I want my clients to have the security that what we're doing, we're doing because it has been proven to work and I'm, we're doing it because it's the benefit of you. But mm. with that said, I also come from this place of unconditional positive regard. Like, I think that's the best thing I ever learned in school was this ability to accept your clients and provide this holding space where people can be loved for being them mm. work happens. So once I grasp that, yes, I think that part of me kind of got permission to exist. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's such a hard thing for people to do. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about, are you a good listener? Are you not a good listener? But I think even beyond that, how do you stand in front of someone and be a non-judgmental uh person to interface with. And I, I'm curious, you know, when you learned about this kind of in school, was it, and now like flip a switch and now you realize it's possible. And so you did it or were there specific tools or ways that you learned to do that? Like how, how, how do you do that? How do you stand in front of someone and hear them having trouble or, you know, someone, I don't know, you know, they keep having the same fight again and again and again with their partner. And, you know, part of you just wants to be like, come on, like, you don't get it yet. Um, That's what I would do in any way, shape or form. But like, but there's, there's a piece of like, wait, don't you see this? How do you, how do you be there in a non-judgmental way? Part of it comes from my belief that everyone is an expert in their own life. Like you've been living there forever. I am coming into it some many years into it I've been there for weeks with you maybe even possibly months with you but I am still nowhere near an expert on your life mm-hmm. you are so my job is to help guide you and help you find the answers that you already have not to come in as this overbearing like I have the answers I from this outside perspective know what's best for you mm-hmm. getting it yet then we haven't worked through something yet together and that's really interesting because I, I think that it does, it becomes a little bit easier to think of that same, I agree with you, same way with my clients where I'm like, I am not the expert in your life. Like you are way more the expert in your life, in your business, in your, in your relationships, like 100%. So how, how do you approach that though with someone 
that you've known for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you know, a, a sister, a friend. Um, I mean, do you just extend it out and say, well, even though I've known you, you know, three quarters of your life, I still am not living in your shoes. It, do you just do the same extension or is there a different switch that happens? For me, that switch in my personal life is this concept of ownership and who truly owns the issue. Do I own the issue? Does my sister own the issue? Does my friend own the issue? Does my husband own the issue? Whose issue is it? And that with that ownership becomes their responsibility and their choice to do something or not do something. Uh, I love that. Yeah, where I can provide a space to talk about it. I can give my opinion, but knowing that it's an opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it makes me think of um, one of my favorite authors and teachers is Byron Katie. And she says, mm-hmm. you know, in life, there's three different businesses. There's your business, there's other people's business, and there's God's business. And by God's business, she just means you know, a hurricane, like no one controls a hurricane. So, you know, so that's what's under quote unquote God's business. And that same deal of if you're trying to get upset or worried or judgmental even on someone's business, someone else's business or God's business, like you're just going to be miserable and you get to take care of your business and your business only. And, um, and it's, it feels like a similar teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's hard for people when they are watching someone that they love make a uh hard or difficult decision or decision that has negative consequences and they're like I if you just did what I would say everything would be okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. use how you respond when they have made a decision that is harmful or causes negative consequences you choose then how you respond like are you still that environment they can come back to you and not be afraid to come back and say I made a mistake or are you the environment where they're like I'm not going to tell them I made a mistake Mm-hmm. I love the piece that you mentioned of, you know, being hard when it's someone that you love and mm-hmm. reminding ourselves that it's also, it, it sometimes it's coming from a, a good place in that we're having compassion. Like we're, we're worried about the people that we love. We care about them so deeply. And then the point is, is like to see, oh, this is about me. This is not about the other person. Like that actually me, I, I think I'm doing this great thing by telling, you know, my friend what to do, but it's actually my own discomfort and my own fear that I'm trying to dispel, not I'm trying to make their lives better. Yeah. Does that we kind of fix your anxiety? You need to feel better about this situation. So you're trying to help. Fascinating. Oh my God. Good. I already feel like I've learned so much from this conversation. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> because I think it's, it is, it's one of the hardest pieces. And I, and I agree. I don't feel like every counselor, coach, teacher approaches things this way that you're talking about. And I think it's really an amazing thing how you do approach it. I think it's an important thing to point out of that, you know, if you have a teacher or a coach or a counselor or social worker that is, telling you what to do or getting judgmental in your face, like that's, that's not a, I don't want to say that's not a healthy relationship, but that's not a, a relationship that can help you as much as it could. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you're feeling judged, that's not going to lead to you making the best decisions. I actually, um, I had a naturopath that I actually stopped going to see because I realized I was scared to tell her about a specific health issue that I was having. 
<laughs> it was like, I actually feel like she's going to judge me for like having this problem. And thus I'm not, I'm literally delaying medical care because I'm scared of being judged. And thus this person is not right for me. And so I had to find, I had to find another, um, another naturopath that I felt like I could be honest with. Yeah. And make a bit and, of this for you. Than yeah. yeah. It is just fascinating. Um, so I would love to talk briefly about your work as a social worker, because I'm going to be completely honest. I, when I think of social worker, I think of someone that works with kids in foster care. Like that was like the, the lens that I had for social worker for a really long time. And so I'm really curious for you how you ended up on social work versus a clinical psychology degree, a, a therapist. Like what was it about the social work model your experiences um what you saw professionally that made you say oh social work that's where I want to be yeah no it that is the lens that a lot of people see us through mainly I think through the media and also because a lot of people don't run into social workers unless there's something wrong because we mm-hmm. do in hospitals we do a lot of jobs with child protective services we do jobs all around kind of helping support everyone in any way that you can think of. For me, was a psychology major in undergrad. And I, senior year, was in my psychology honor society meeting. And they brought in different speakers talking just about what options you have for grad schools. And I was applying to grad schools, fully attending to go and get my PhD in psychology. Um, And I would be that clinical psychologist. And just something wasn't setting right with me throughout all of my classes. I was like, well, this is more. There's got to be more to this. There's a different way to do this. I don't really, maybe I just haven't found like the school of psychology that I like. And we had a PhD from the social work department, Dr. Preston Dyer, come and talk to our group about social work and I too had the same why is this not just about social work I don't want to work for CPS which is child protective services and he came he was the first man to attend the Texas Women's University's um, PhD in marriage and family therapy and social work and he focused on couples and he talked about everything a social worker could do you can work in a hospital, you can work in a private practice, you can work with the military, you can work in schools, you can work in prisons, you can work with refugees. Like you could, the world is your oyster with social work because you can literally do anything with it. But more importantly, he talked about the division of power and the way that psychology was presented in my program. It's a lot of the power comes from the psychologist and you having some answers that your client doesn't have you have knowledge and while that's true we do have lots of knowledge and that's why people come to us social work much more is client-centered or we call it person-centered it is oh person and where their environment is from all the different layers from their interactions with their family and their interactions with the community and how laws affect them and policies affect them and how you cannot separate all of that and so not only (laughs) it give the person back the power but it also really drove home the idea that I mean I can't treat the child and think that they're going to change if I don't also treat the parents and right. I can't expect the parents to be able to function in this community if I don't look at what the community is not providing or the barriers that they're facing it took it from being somewhat isolated I felt like to this un- 
web of connections everywhere and uh, you could make all those changes happen so that's what social work is for me and that's why I do it and that's why I love it that's really beautiful and I didn't make this connection now um or until now but is this um motivational interviewing did that come out of social work yeah, do you know so motiv- we do okay a lot of social workers use motivational interviewing so do a lot of psychologists um we use a lot of solution focused as well that puts mm-hmm. um, power back in my client and like, okay, so what have you done before that's worked for you? How can we apply that now? And you're assuming that the client has strengths that you can tap into. Oh, that is so beautiful. Cause yeah, that's something that really spoke to me when I was in grad school. And at mm-hmm. one point we learned about motivational interviewing and it just rocked my world because it's exactly what we've been talking about of the, person that's sitting across from you, the client, the the patient, whatever you want to call them, knowing they have autonomy, they have power, they have strengths that they know the answer way better than you do. And, uh, and I, I did a lot of training on motivational interviewing because of that, because it just, it spoke to me so much more than what we were specifically talking about in our classes. Um, and, and this makes so much sense also of why, why we get along so well. <laughs> of, of, I really love the way that you approach it, because I don't, Again, I, I think it's rare um, in in what we currently see in the coaching psychologist nutritionist space, and so I, I really love everything you're talking about, and particularly where have been the past wins. I mean, talk about a way to build confidence um, and and esteem that, like, yeah, oh, I have done something like this before. I actually, I can't, I can do something like this again. Absolutely. Yeah, it's actually just one little note again. It's exactly, uh, I released a guided meditation just very recently about heroic identity and and embodying the virtues of being a hero, which is being a protector, being strong, being there for people, showing up. And, and in that guided meditation, it was really about where have you already done this? And actually, can you just keep applying these things that you've already done, that you've already had inside of you? So uh that's there if you're interested in the guided meditation on heroic identity. But... I saw that too. I was like, oh, I'm going to check that out. I put it on my Oh, cool. Yeah, definitely check it out. I really loved it. It makes, I've been thinking about it all day uh, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, so I would love to hear um, what is one of the greatest lessons you've either had to learn or to teach yourself um, that's really changed or impacted the way that you show up in the world? Um, What's something that, you know, either maybe was understanding confidence in yourself or maybe it relates to what you mentioned earlier of, oh, wow, I can be this presence for people, this non-judgmental presence. Um, Was there something that kind of changed in your brain um, at any point that really kind of up-leveled you to to how you live your life now? So for me, I think the latest like, change in mindset that is the focus and what I'm working on changing is this letting go of or shoulds. Like, mm. I should do this way, and I should do that thing, and I should feel that way, and my house should look this way, I should look this way, I should feel this way about a certain thing. And letting go of that letting go of the people's expectations and 
in doing so, being able to find my priorities mm-hmm. and find what I am passionate about and find what I do want to spend my time on and letting go of, like, if I didn't get to that, I just didn't get to it. There's another day, there's another time, and it will happen. Was there something that made you realize that this had to change? Because, you know, I always say whenever we have a habit that we don't necessarily love, um, you know, we, we hold on to it for a reason, right? Like there's a reason why having all the shoulds worked for you for a while. And so I'm curious if there was something that made you really wake up and say, you know what, it's time for it to change. So I always talk to my clients about the fact that you have to be uncomfortable enough for something to change. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. You can notice it and be like, oh, that's something I, I really should work on. Um, but until the consequences, the benefits of changing outweigh the benefits of staying the same, you're not going to. And so for me, um, I had my daughter, I have my business, I teach for two universities, I'm a friend, I'm a wife, I'm a human. And all of that kind of came to a head of, you know, I am being pulled in 800 directions and I feel like I am not giving anything or anyone the best me. I'm kind of giving everybody a distracted, like, let me focus on you right now and then let me move on. And I did not like that. I did not like that feeling because I am very much a perfectionist. I feel like I should be great at everything. I should have my house all together. I should have my work all together. I should never be late because I don't know if that happened. And I didn't like the way it felt. I didn't like constantly feeling behind and constantly feeling that disappointment in myself. And it forced me to look at everything I was doing and decide on whether or not it was things that were truly important to me or things that I felt should be important to me or they were important to keep up as part of some persona or an outdated belief that had served me because I had changed. I was a different person than before I had my daughter, before I opened my own business, before I started teaching for two different universities. And I needed to change my outlook to match the new person instead of trying to force the new person into the old outlook. Oh, I love that. I love that because it's, it's really easy to get caught with that, right? Like, well, five years ago, blank worked for me. And so now I should still be doing it or, um, I constantly, well, I, I can't do this. I can do this. How old you could have done that? You <laughs> would much rather do would rather spend the time elsewhere. I really, I love that. I think, I think that's so important. I've also been working a lot on getting rid of the should words. Well, should is a huge one. And then also the have tos. I have to do this. I have to do that, which is like, it's just like a sister to to the shoulds. Like they're just, they come a little hand in hand. I should do this. So I have to do that. And, um, and I agree because when you actually hear yourself, I mean, not only it's, it's just when you hear yourself actually doing it, you're saying, you know, is it, is this real? Is this true? Like, you know, should I really do this thing? Because life will still go on if I don't. (laughs) And, and then you edit and then you're able to actually give more energy to the things you actually care about, which always feels good. Mm -hmm. I like that word edit. You get to edit. You, you decide what you keep, you decide what goes and it's an ever evolving journey. Oh, isn't that the truth? Um, I'm curious what is 
your linchpin. So I use this term to mean that one thing that you really need to have dialed in to feel really great in your day. So as an example for my husband, it's sleep. Like he needs to get eight hours and then he's going to have a great day. Whereas me, I actually could survive on five or six if I have to, it's not preferable, but you know, I can do some less sleep, but I need to have a great breakfast and a breakfast that feels really good in my body. If my breakfast gets screwed up, I feel a little bit off for the rest of the day. And I'm mm-hmm. curious for you, what, what do you find is most important? Like, yep, if I have this one thing dialed in, things go well. For me, it's taking five or 10 minutes to walk through my house and get rid of clutter. Hmm. I love that. Just put things back where it needs to go, move things into the room that they needed to be in, where they belong, and to have organization come into view because if mm-hmm. I can organize a little then surely I can get other things done instead of trying to focus and looking up and be like that doesn't go there oh my gosh I'm reminded right now of how much I need to do looking around that I can look around and be like okay it is at a presentable peaceful place for me okay move on chaos And I'm curious, do you do that in the morning, in the evening? Is it multiple times a day? Like, is there, when, when is that important for you to do in your day? Preferably for me, I like to do it the evening before, right before I go to bed. So that Mm -hmm. when I wake up, there's already a clean space to begin. Oh, isn't that beautiful? I I totally hear you. And I I agree with you. I'm like, it's five minutes. It's actually so quick. And then the entire rest of your house feels so much better. And I'm sure that's also huge. um, Having a baby hanging around because I know you can, (laughs) you can accumulate like bottles and cloths and chairs and clothing like everywhere, (laughs) like everywhere though. Everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I totally hear you and just having that space. And I think also about what a benefit that also even has for children also as they grow up. I mean, again, not that you have to be a clean freak, not that everything has to be in its place, but that there's a sense of order and you know where things are located. And it just, it, I feel like it just kind of gets rid of some of the friction that's stuck in your brain. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about the shoulds as being an important lesson, but I'm curious if there's a specific habit you've dropped in the last year that's made a big difference in your life. Um, just something you've, you know, whether it was you decided to stop drinking caffeine or you decided to stop saying yes automatically to things. Um, is there something that you've gotten rid of, something you've edited out that's made a big difference? Yeah, so I chose to get rid of the belief that I have to do everything mm-hmm. and that I have to have a perfectly clean house. I have to have dinner cooked I have to have my laundry put away I have to have worked out I have to have spent time with my husband my child I have to have spent time for me I have to have been caught from all my work and everything at the end of the day has to be done when Mm -hmm. I got married a very wise friend told me she's like the one bit of wedding advice I can give you is to pick a time she's like whether it be after your rehearsal dinner before the rehearsal dinner whatever whatever is on your list and it is still undone at that time, you let go of it. It is gone. It must not matter because it did not get done. Mm. There's no point in stressing over it. Just let it go and enjoy your wedding. 
it was amazing advice. I, my time was right before the rehearsal dinner, rehearsal started. What wasn't done, wasn't done. And it must not have been important. And I've tried to adapt that same mindset now. And it's, you know, whatever's not done by the time eight or nine rolls around, it's not done. There's no point of me working every night until I'm exhausted and go to bed. It must not have been important. And letting myself let go of some things and have some quiet time and have some time where I don't have to worry about what I didn't get done. Because it will still be there if it is truly important. Yeah, I love that. And a great lesson that I received that relates to this is um, is Marie Forleo that said it of, you know, procrastination shows up for a reason sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I found that usually that's, that's been true that, you know, oh, I didn't get this thing done. Well, actually the next day or a week from now or two weeks from now, I get new information that makes me change how I would have done it. And so actually like the reason procrastination showed up was because it actually wasn't a good move for me to make. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't important. Like it really wasn't an important thing for me to do or whatever else shows up so that, that even those moments of, Oh, I still haven't done this. I still haven't done this. Sometimes there's a reason why it's showing up like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's huge. So do you find, uh, because I totally hear you. Like if it didn't get done by eight, like that's fine. It's time to shut down. I'm curious then, does it just, does everything roll over to the next day? How do you then keep yourself from having a, a fatigue or, or like a, an ever growing list? Or does the list just keep growing and editing and growing and editing? Um, it, do, you, do you deal with those things specifically that don't get done? I love lists. So having a list doesn't bother me. A list is comforting to me because that means it won't be forgotten. It won't slip away. So mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me to put it on the list and look at the list the next day and be like okay is this still something that needs to be done okay then let's add it to the today's list or let's drop it off perfect Um, so I keep it and then we look at it the next day yeah and then you have those fresh eyes and kind of similar it happened to me just today where I put things on my list last night you know before I stopped work and this morning I was like you know what actually that's not the most important I put that as number one like number one thing to do and I'm looking at this again and I'm like that is so not number one that is like number four like we will maybe get to that tomorrow and like and it's interesting how that time and that perspective can really help you um, by doing that list the day before so I love that um this is a fun question because it, it does, it relates to so much of what we've been talking about. And I think this question can be overrun, especially, you know, perfectionist tendencies. But I'm curious, when do you feel most successful? Hmm, that's so hard because I feel like, of course, I am my worst critic. I am not successful. I, there's always more that I can improve. I can be a better therapist. I can be a better wife. I can be a better mom. Um, but I get that feeling when I see a client make change, when mm-hmm. I see that thing that they've really been struggling with and that light bulb come off and they're the ones who recognize it. And like, did you see what I've done this week? Let me tell you about this. And they're excited and that's contagious. I'm like, we have made change happen. How cool is that? And it never fails to bless me of how magical and special that is because change is difficult change is hard everyone struggles with it and to be a part of that process and someone making a change for the better in their life oh my god that that is like 
my drug. It's amazing. That is that is beautiful, and I love. I mean, you can even hear like the change in your voice, the change in the energy that happens there. And I, it's it's been a practice for me to focus on those moments, especially as I do the other piece of my business. I think this comes up so much for people that do service work, right? Like. On the, you're here for the clients like that's the stuff you love and then you know that you just so happen to have to spend 40% of your time doing administrative work and like and doing all the other stuff that makes it happen and and one of my goals is to remember more during those other times when you're sitting there and you're like oh this to-do list oh it's not getting done you know then saying like okay but did did we make change today but okay <laughs> did, did something happen today so I, I just love that I love that so so much um, I would love if you could share, um, if there's anyone you want to celebrate, anyone that you feel like is doing really great things for the world, you really appreciate their work, um, you know, some of your favorite either authors or websites or podcasts um, related to, to your work and to building that confidence and strength as a new mother, as a new family. Um, is, is there anyone you want to just throw a shout out to and super celebrate here today? Let me see. So I listen to the Mom and Mind podcast, and I love what Dr. Cat is doing. She is looking at maternal mental health and normalizing it. She talks mm. all different types of moms. She talks about all different types of experiences. And for me, when I was pregnant, that was one of the best things that I could do when I was prepping for labor was to hear all the experiences and how all the different variables can exist so that I had all that information in my head and that no matter what happened, it was going to be normalized because I had already heard about it from someone. And she's doing that with all the bad thoughts you have about being a bad mom or, you know, I shouldn't feel this anxious or I shouldn't feel this bad or I should be enjoying this more, all those shoulds. And the depression that can come and the anxiety that can come and the PTSD from the birth trauma and OCD and the trouble with eating disorders and she's talking to all different moms about their experiences and then how to improve on that. So she's that, doing excellent work. That's awesome. And so you said that you listened to that when you were pregnant. So you would recommend that people can listen to it even before they're pregnant, as they're pregnant, and kind of do that in preparation versus listening after having baby. Yeah, I would say either or, and then beforehand, I also listened to the birth hour. Which oh, is yes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and then the last thing before we wrap up is I'd love you to tell us a little more about the event you're doing on March 3rd. Absolutely. So I'm so excited. I am doing a workshop entitled Keeping the Us After Becoming a Family, and I'm doing it in partnership with Blue Nectar Yoga and Falls Church. They have a whole series called the Nurture Series, which is geared towards new expected parents, both birth mom and their partner. And I love my workshop because we're looking at that dynamic that happens when you go from two to three and mm -hmm. the complications that come with that, the strain that it can put on a relationship and how to prepare for that. Like, how do you set yourself up to be able to communicate during a stressful event? And then also, how do you stay connected? How do you stay feeling in love when there's so much going on and intention is split and you're dealing with hormones and you're dealing with 
just the fourth trimester and you're dealing with change and not sleeping and all that comes with it. And so we focus on how to stay in touch and stay focused in as little as five minutes a day with your partner and just really kind of maximize that. And we have parents coming that, you know, their youngest is six, seven, eight years old. Like it's not just for new parents who just want to know like how can we better in this crazy, crazy world stay in touch and maximize our connection with each other. That is so beautiful. And should people sign up at Blue Nectar or should they sign up at your website? Yeah, sign up at bluenectaryoga.com. Fabulous. Um, thank you. This has been such an amazing conversation. It was so great talking with you. Uh, how can people find you? Where would you like them to reach out? Absolutely. So I have um, a website, virtuecounseling.com. It's got information about my practice, my location, and all the services that I offer. I also have an Instagram at Virtue Counseling, and there's a Facebook at Virtue Counseling as well. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you for showing up in such a beautiful, non-judgmental, uh, spacious, positive way and in so much love. Um, please do follow up with Drusha if you're interested in her services and learning more about her work that she does. Uh, and like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which I think is so cool, is that you also invite babies into your um into your practice if you uh are a new parent and you have a non-speaking baby you can come to the appointment with your baby which I think is the the best thing and just thank you for being there and really like practicing what you preach of being supportive to new families I think it's beautiful 100% I truly believe that mental health is a right and not a privilege and so I try and do everything I can to put that into as many hands as possible oh Amazing. Thank you so much, Jerusha. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm sending you all so much light and love, and that light in me so humbly bows the same light in you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jerusha, and have a fabulous day. Thank you. Bye, Sam.